What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Black Men Unlearning. I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. Kyle, it's been a little minute. You know, we took an impromptu break, but it's 2024, and your Michigan Wolverines are the champions. So we've seen stuff that, I mean, I, I haven't seen in a long time. I'm not going to see never seen before. I was, I was quite young the last time, but, you know, congratulations, man. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Uh, and hell, hell to the victors. You know, go blue and all that. You know, uh, yeah, definitely felt you know felt nice to to watch that game and to think, man, especially after two successive flame out in the playoff, and thinking, man, such great seasons coming to ignominious ends and. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, this year just felt it felt different. It was like, okay, we coming in number one seed, like, okay, like we kind of imposed it. And I will admit that, you know, I was I was worried that that Bama, that Bama game. I was like, oh, are they gonna find a way to like choke this thing away? But then, you know, they they came they came through, and then you know, championship game. I mean, you know, had his had his moments, but I was like, yeah, you know. Getting to see the guys kind of take their victory lap was fun. Just as a kid who grew up on uh, Michigan sports, so yeah, good time. I'm uh, you know, proudly rocking my Michigan gear. <laughs> <laughs> as you should, as I sit here in my in my 2019 LSU uh, championship gear, dog. I, I'm still wearing it, so make sure you. Get I mean, listen, that was a squad. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> Greatest team of all time and all that, but we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to talk about that right now. Um, yeah, man. So we took we took a we took a break. Um, I feel like a lot of stuff has happened. Um, even just since January first. I mean, we we started the year, you know, letting naysayers know, and now, <laughs> yeah. now uh. I mean, Cat Williams had to let some naysayers know. Um, Bernice King had to let a naysayer know in Jonathan Majors because he's tripping. So I feel like we got a lot of stuff to catch up on is what I'm trying to We do. We do. Boy, what a, what a time to be alive. Yeah, man. So what... Um, What's most interesting to you in that in that grouping of of things that it seems to have happened in the first not even two weeks of the year? Man, oh gosh, you know. Well, so I want to I want to start with uh, Major Luther the King. So you know, the folk who've been paying any attention to the general news cycle, which I know is just a different game in the age of streaming and always being online. Um, Jonathan Major, a prominent and renowned uh, actor, still you know fairly early in his career, um, was uh, in, in court, had a court case related to uh, matters of domestic dispute and violence involving a former romantic partner of his. And ultimately that ended in, uh, and I don't remember exactly which 
uh, thing he ended up being convicted of or found guilty of. Um, but something related to, you know, this sort of domestic assault or dispute or a responsibility for uh, his partner having been harmed in the process of this dispute. And so that's, you know, one thing. But then we have uh, the more recent interviews that he did uh, on with a major news outlet, uh, I want to say, I think maybe ABC. He might have been. Um, anyhow, uh, so, you know, one-on-one interview and, and the, the style of many folk who are, you know, coming to set the record straight or to, you know, tell their side of the story. And what has been tragic comic has been the recurring uh memory, shall we say, of Jonathan Majors for uh, being recorded uh, saying that, you know, he needs his partner to hold him down, you know, like Coretta Scott King. I feel like you're not doing it justice. You're not doing it justice if you don't don't do the pause, self-satisfied smirk like a Coretta. Dog. Like a a Coretta, right? Like, (laughs) and that like a Coretta type, a Coretta adjacent. I mean, you know, someone in the general scheme of, you know, holding me down, right? <laughs> Which, <laughs> as as I've heard people joke, like, I mean, is that man holding you down or is he holding you down? <laughs> and <laughs> I, 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 oh man, it's it's funny precisely because it's not. Yes, and. The so part of the, the the sort of fallout of him, you know, articulating his desire for a partner who holds him down in, in this way, is that people are acknowledging one of the ways that it reflects this ignorance about the kind of uh, role and the personhood of Coretta Scott King. Like she was not a bit player, a background person to the life and times of Martin Luther the King. I don't know why I even said it like that, but it just felt funny. <laughs> so, oh no, so, it's funny. Martin Luther King, but who who himself right has become this kind of historical mascot in the way people think about civil rights movement and the way they think about black leadership, uh, black politics. So there's this kind of storytelling that's at work in how somebody like Majors who I mean, by my knowledge, was not you know a renowned civil rights leader, uh, but even if he were, this idea of this role or function that a woman is supposed to play in support of your life, in support of your goals, your pursuits. I mean, at the very least, it flattens a much more complex and rich history, and like. Read the memoirs, read the the, the histories, man. Read the, the biographies. Because what you'll understand is Ms. Uh, Coretta Scott was doing her own thing in Boston and wasn't necessarily checking for, you know, this medium-height Morehouse dude who seemed very sure of himself. And that's, you know, no knock, no knock on. I, I know plenty of Morehouse brothers. Some of them are even my friends. That's, you know, hey. All good, no shade. But I mean, if we're keeping it a buck, like I'm like, okay, he's 
preacher dude from the South that she don't even really know like that. And it's like, okay, what's his deal? So just the framing that like Coretta Scott King becomes this footnote, becomes uh, the sort of foundational support, becomes the, you know, the bridge called her back <laughs> on which Martin and all the others marched to Selma and wherever else they got to go to, you know, be great men. It just like at at the least it's like bruh you're saying this out loud you're saying this on camera you're saying this on recording like what's actually the thought process behind like a Coretta like help me help me understand I so I I feel like I feel like we have been sold this idea of the importance of our significance. Um, and particularly, mm -hmm. I think it's something that can be rampant in black communities is about how we how we how we train and teach black boys about what they should aspire to and aspiring to significance or aspiring to be great. And those things in and of themselves, I don't think are wrong. But I think they move us to a place of just pure ego-driven action that is obsessed with the, the kind of idea of, of what it means to be a great man without the substance and the understanding of the cost of greatness. Um. And I don't even I don't even in that say greatness with a with a level of reverence because these things are complicated, man. Like when you when you talk about like the level of unbalance that it requires for you to get a you know 0.1% level of excellence at a thing, those mm -hmm. are often part and parcel with deteriorating relationships, abuses, like uh, lack of kindness. Like these are all things that we can, if we go back in the, when we think of great in the, you know, in, in the, in the, in the public square, we might, you know, think of like the Jordans and the Kobe's and how, you know, that greatness didn't always come with the best interpersonal actions. It also came with some issues outside of the arena of sport. Um, even as you look at, you know, Martin Luther King's life, like from a health standpoint, how was he doing? You know, at the time of his murder, I don't believe he was very healthy at that time, the amount of stress and anxiety that he was dealing with. But also, you know, as you know, Jonathan Majors keeps jumping out here with this like a Coretta thing. Like there's infidelity that exists within that relationship as well, which is a, a high level of disrespect for the sanctity of the relationship that they had in place. So, you know, when you when you jump out there with the like a Coretta, like that doesn't come without the context of all of it. So my question then in the in the in the vein of the stories that we tell ourselves and that we tell about ourselves, does Jonathan Majors believe himself to be like that kind of great man? And why do you believe that? Secondly, why are you using 
any woman as a proxy for your greatness? And I think that that is a question that all men should probably, well, all men who are interested in relationships with women, but probably just all people in general should really sit with, like, am I making another person a proxy for my aspirations? And that's something I've, I've talked about, you know, on this pod before about, you know, when I was thinking of myself in the context of wanting to one day play the roles or not play, but assume the roles of husband and father. The problem with that is like, what I what I said I wanted was a relationship with a woman that was a loving and deeply uh, kind and caring relationship. But what I was amounting it to and what I was pursuing was assuming the roles of husband and father. And that husband father thing doesn't have anything to do with the other person. I could do that with anyone. So some of this is is reducing a, a another person's entire humanity into functioning as a support for my ego. And I, that's all over Jonathan Majors. And I, I would just ask, do you have any real friends, bro? Because, like, somebody should have pulled you aside and said, stop saying that, bro. Stop saying that to people. Stop saying that in public. Just stop saying it all together. You sound ridiculous. Because it's it's giving goofy. It's it's so goofy. Bro, what, what the hell? And then to have Bernice King say, hey, man, stop using my mama as a prop. Like, this is a person I had a relationship with. This is my mother, who is a whole human being, and you keep calling her name in these stupid situations. What's wrong with you? Yeah, the invocation of her name is all about a certain symbolism. And it's also about what are you not saying. Invoking Coretta is saying something about himself and not even so much about the the particular role that a partner would ostensibly play for him but it's saying something about the perceived importance of the role he's playing and why it requires this kind of support yeah. uh what seems to be an extraordinary or notable level of support because let's keep it a buck i mean Coretta Scott King held it down for her family after the demise of her husband, and she never remarried. Um, he carried on in so many ways the work that they had been laboring in together. Because mm -hmm. this is the man, and I and I, I've I've written about this in reflection. You know, every time you think about one of these, you know, you think about these marches, these demonstrations, these moments that get memorialized in various forms. I think to myself, whose house do they go to afterwards? Yeah. Who's, uh, whose food were, were they eating? Who was cooking it? Man, who, you know, made sure they had a place to lay their heads, man? Who was making sure, you know, they had a little money in their pockets? Who was making sure, like, you know, the kids were looked after? Like, there's so many layers of unseen labor that support even what we think of as our everyday lives. And when we think about what it means to have a measure of independence or importance, it occurs to me that everything we do depends on a lot of labor we don't pay no attention to and often ain't thinking about. 
I don't know who picked the the blackberries I bought from the grocery store today. I don't know who, you know, picked the grapes. I don't know who, you know, is working in the, you know, plant that's generating and processing electricity that's keeping my light on now or that's starting my computer. Like, on the most basic levels, there's so much required to give us the illusion of what we're doing on our own or for ourselves. And like at that that level of consideration is simply not present in this statement of, you know, I need I need a credit. But let's also talk about and you, you mentioned in some in some respects the cost of this perceived notion of greatness. Because uh everybody you mentioned, like yeah, the Jordan, Kobe, I think of a Tiger Woods. My man, respectively great at the things they sought after, and I in particular, and I think it's—I don't know—we could we could talk about like what the meaning or significance is of what they pursued, all having to do with like sports entertainment, um, and with majors being an entertainer, and I will admit a talented one. He's really very good at what he does, which makes all of this feel even more fringy, but like it's also reminded me like, man, we consume what folk produce. We don't know nothing about these people. Come on. Um and I'm sorry, like you know, I, Kang the Conqueror is not like ending segregation. Like <laughs> great character, <laughs> you know, fun fun times. Love love loved him in, you know, loved him in uh Loki season one and two. Not so much in Ant Man. Uh but like all of that being said, like <laughs> what like what exactly do you think or believe that your work is doing in the world such that I need a Coretta? Like ah, like I don't know. Like this is this is getting it's getting weird to me. And now that it's getting weird for me, I'm like this is this is awkward. Can we like uh, can we can we not do this? Can we? But can we also think very clearly about the consequences of uh, presuming that one's advancement rests on another person's surrogacy? Um, and there's a particular way that like this lands on black women. Um, I believe it was Zora Neale Hurston who, who talked about uh, black women being the mules yep. of this world. Um, a mule is a pack animal. Yeah, you throw stuff on them like, "Hey, here, handle this. Carry these bags. Move this load, and also let me ride along." Right, and you expect them to just do it dutifully, as if they've been they've been bred for this work. So, like, this question of the instrumentality of what you believe a particular kind of partner. And, mind you, right, like, <laughs> he's saying, like, in Coretta, initially to a woman who, by <laughs> all accounts, is decidedly not Coretta for at least one. Could not, probably. could not play Coretta in a biopic of her life. We would have so many questions. 
We would be like when Zoe Saldana was playing uh, Nina Simone and like, <laughs> boy, <laughs> scary hours, man. Didn't but, they? Uh, they had to, that was that was a moment in time. I don't really remember. Did that ever come out? I think it did, but like, uh, I, I wasn't gonna go see it. I don't even I know if it came a, to like theaters. It was I have a very it was limited weird. memory of like it feels kind of like a fever dream. I know they darkened her skin. They did egregiously. I, it was so weird. Was there a was there a nose prosthetic as well? I, I there was. Yo, that is wild. Very, very wild. And yeah, like that 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 whole that whole thing was just strange to me but like in the grand so oh gosh like so all, all of all of that all of that weirdness aside this part of me that's wondering like so like did you did you just always believe this if so like is that a thing you lead with is it like how how long into a relationship until you know somebody finds out like hey so you know it seems like at the stage at the stage in which somebody asks you what you're looking for that this is the point right you know how you say a thing and it sounds good to you so you just like you keep repeating it because you're like yeah I like yeah the fact that mm -hmm. this is the thing that he decided to repeat. It's one of those moments that makes you question what you liked about his work in the first place. And I do not say that to disparage his work because his work was great. We Obviously, both of us, we, we talked about this on a previous episode, how much we were fans of his work and how that has nothing to do with what's happening right now. Um, because the text messages from his court case revealed a very manipulative way of him kicking it. It also revealed this, you know, Coretta stuff. I mean, it's just... You know, there's it's it's a mess. It's a mess with this individual. And like, uh, let's let's keep it a hundred. I got plenty of text messages. I don't want seeing the light of day. Oh, a hundred percent. Not because I'm doing something crazy in them, but just that's none of y'all business. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And I and I don't, I, man. I don't want to do no interview having to contextualize why certain things was said or like done, but like. The point, the point being, I think, with all of that, and this is this is you know, speak, speaking of like the the piece about like how and why this like particular woman in question was not and could not be a Coretta. Let's also talk about the the other the other piece of this that I both think is relevant and in some respects unfair, namely like what it means for like a high profile black man to be. You know, seen in this relationship with a decidedly not black woman, I think she was white, but like I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to speak to what uh, other, you know, aspects she might claim as part of her heritage, racial identity, so forth. You know, folks, you know that that can be a whole thing, but ultimately, a uh, white presenting woman <laughs> with this prominent black man. And that already conjures up a whole lot of like other like 
weird and uncomfortable stuff for people around like, you know, interracial dynamics and dating and relationships, and particularly black men with white perceived women, that gets gets messy and complicated. Because on one hand, I'm like, bruh, like, you know, the extent to which race is an elaborate fiction suggests for me that yeah, this is just like a a it's two it's two human beings in a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And the racial stuff is not like a thing you you choose. That's just like, hey, we are thrust into this world already being shaped and predetermined by racial animus and the fact of race. At the same time, a whole lot of energies around like, I mean, that's what he get for messing with that white woman. And I, and I mean, we can we can speak in various ways to how. We have been, um, if not warned, let's say strongly uh, encouraged, mm-hmm. steer clear of certain dating choices. And like, I'm not going to cast aspersions on how this man, you know, decides to move in his own relational life. Um, I will say though that part of the, within this this uh, this sort of larger drama is the fact of how like. The choice of a partner does have significant repercussions for the way things unfold in your life. And that's not like, you know, on the basis of race, but like, who is it like we end up aligning with? Like, what does it mean to know the person you dealing with? Um, because, too, like, there's, I think about like, and I'm trying to think of the way the, the 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 way to frame it. It's like before any of this public stuff happens, before anything in our lives goes public, there are always lots of private decisions and choices that we make well before this. Yes. Like I don't think somebody like wakes up and one day and decides like, yeah, you know I need a Coretta. Like I don't think that's a that's a like woke up this morning. And Eureka. But like it's like there's some choices over time, some way of being like shaped or formed into thinking like this is what you need or this is what you want. And, and man, like I've 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 had to learn to like take a step back from like the desire to understand why people make various choices that they do. Um, and accounting for the fact that, like, human beings, man, like, we just be all over the place, man. Like, Indeed. we're not wholly predictable. And even, like, to some extent, right, there's there's both, like, who we, who we build relationship with is consequential. And there are things we just cannot know until we're in relationship. And it's like, oh, man, this is, you know, this was not on my bingo card, but now we're reckoning with this. There's a large part of this that I think is connected to the narratives that we build. What we uh-huh. talk And particularly as it pertains to the Zora Neale Hurston quote that you mentioned earlier, this idea of positioning other folks for our, based on their usefulness to us, whether it's the fact that they look the part, 
or the fact that they actually can make our lives easier. And I think it just comes down to a, a deep misunderstanding about the value of relationship at best. Um, and at worst, it's a maniacal level of egocentrism that can only lead to destructive paths. Because even within that, that context of criticizing Jonathan Majors for messing with a white woman, like mm -hmm. the 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 criticism comes and the alternative is what that he would have done these awful things to a black woman is that what we're looking for because yep. i don't no that's that's not that aspect the identity of the person the race of the person that he was with doesn't have nothing to do with his behavior and the way he kicks it mm -hmm. generally which does not seem based on the information that we have to be above board and to to be anything that we would desire of healthy interaction loving and careful interaction i think we have to be mindful of the limits of kind of the basic assessments that we that we get to because it's not that there's not a function in terms of what it helps us to think about and discuss. But it just doesn't encompass the complexity that we're actually dealing with. And I think mm. to, to look at this major situation is to look at the consequences of getting full up on yourself to the point yeah. of having no consideration for other folks' humanity, such that like you can just kick it any old way you send in wild texts that you 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 that can later be used against you you are you know hiring a lawyer who's doing all kinds of goofy things you're allegedly setting up situations where you can show up in what seems like some of the costumes from the color purple set and try to break up two people fighting like I don't I don't know what's happening but none of this is like a great man being taken down to me this is you structuring out your life in a way where you have done a lot of silly things and at, at best silly at worst like awful in pursuit of greatness and I think we have to really think critically about what our what our aspirations mean for our humanity. And mm -hmm. that like your aspirations and the things that you accomplish are not a replacement for the 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 dignity of your humanity or anyone else's. Like I'm I'm always I'm always a little uncomfortable around some of the ways that we talk about what it means to achieve greatness in our society and i think oftentimes when we when we when we talk about this we use sports as a, a uh as a an example and a lot of talk is given to like the the type of language that is used Mm -hmm. you're mentoring or working with somebody and I struggle with this right like 
you know, I, I didn't play a lot of sports, but I played sports in like high school and stuff like that, middle school. And, you know, I enough where I've heard a coach say some wild stuff to me, to other people. And like that's that's just the the way that it's done. But should it be right? right? Like I'm 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 always I'm always a little on edge about what we say is required in order to be great at something. Like, do you have to be a, a sociopath to be amazing? Like, does it require, you know, there was a, uh, on, on Pablo Torre's con uh, uh, podcast, Pablo Torre finds out he, he has Smush Parker on the podcast. And Smush Parker talks about how Kobe spent an entire season not even speaking to him, would not acknowledge him. And it's like, is that required for you to be great at this? Like you gotta you gotta treat people like trash to be great. You have you have to take someone's dignity in order for you to be great at a thing. Like so much of the lore, the storytelling that we engage in around greatness has to do with not having time for regarding other body other people's humanity as worth our time and value and consideration as if like that consideration that moment that i have to spend treating you like you deserve to be regarded with any level of care is going to be the thing that stands in the way of of you being able to achieve whatever this thing is and I, I think it reveals a real awful belief that we seem to carry about ourselves and the and the the value and worthiness of just our humanity. I think we really should should spend more time digging into why we seem to be under the impression that folks should exist to serve us. And to serve whatever purpose we we feel we ought to have on any given day. And, and how the very definition of greatness is it means that so few of us, or the definition that we operate with of greatness in terms of people, is that it's unattainable for most people. And yet we set it as a goal for so many of us, such that in the narrative creation that a lot of just average folks walk around with, there's this idea that folks should be operating like their Coretta or I think Jonathan Majors even used Michelle Obama in this context. And I just, what it, what it shows is a lack of understanding of what greatness is and what is, what is consequential with respect to greatness like what are the what what comes part and parcel with that and it is it's i have a sadness about it because it's reflective of just how we oversimplify everything so that we can have these comfortable pursuits to exist in and i don't think that that is an easier path than seeking out treating each other's humanity 
as worthy of going the extra mile. Like there's there is a greatness within that. And we and we completely miss it. Because our our narrative seemed to need to flatten all the other characters in order to enrich our own sometimes. And that doesn't make for good narratives. I don't know if you've if you've read any lately, but like you 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 actually need some depth for multiple characters in the context of each other. And that that makes for amazing narrative. Man, you you said so so much there. And really I want to focus on this idea of of narrative and like what stories is it uh art are we trying to tell? Um, about ourselves, what have we been taught is the story we should strive to create about ourselves, create for our lives, our aspirations, and goals. Um, this feels, in a lot of ways, like a really good connection to uh, one of the other sort of major <laughs> narrative stories of this uh, this new year, namely uh, the interview between comedian uh, and actor Cat Williams and uh, retired NFL player and media personality, Shannon Sharp. And if you haven't watched the interview, I mean, thing went super viral. 46 million views last I checked uh, in the last, what, 10 days. Um, and so in this, and I, and I, I have some thoughts, and I'm, you know, the, the scholarly side of me is saying like, hmm, let's sit down and write about this like for real, for real at some point. But uh, in this interview, you know, it's such an unconventional interview the way it starts out because Pat Williams just goes straight into like, all right, I'm unloading. Like I got stuff to get off my chest. And so it's at this point, it's like, well, Dan is interviewing him, but like Cat is on his own, like, hey, I'm 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 on one right now. I'm a let some things go. And he, you know, he says he's you know responding in part, and he's there in part because he's responding to these other medians who had been on uh you know Club JJ podcast and who had you know mentioned his name in different respects. And he felt like mm, I need to clear the air. I need to set the story straight, set the narrative straight. And boy, did he set things straight for nearly three hours, which one, shout out to, you know, the indefatigable stamina of both men, both Cat Williams to, to be on for like almost three hours. I mean, and I really, you gotta, you gotta, it's an interview, but I think we also have to think of it in terms of a performance. He understands and understood the medium like, here's a guy who is a consummate entertainer who knows it's not just about the story you're telling, but how you tell it. And for all of the, you know, and, and admittedly, you know, problematic elements to, to some of the things he was saying. But, like, let's also talk about, like, what does it mean for him as a comedian, as someone who also takes the craft seriously? As someone who understands that it's part of this longer tradition of 
kind of folklore and storytelling, particularly with African-American comedians. Like, and, and at the heart of it, I see him doing, you know, it's two very different interviews, right? Like Jonathan Majors, like more muted series, trying to like speak to the gravity of what's happened and what it's cost them. And you saying like, yeah, you know, a lot of the Hollywood stuff is kind of dried up. Like that, that ain't, he ain't getting no love like that right now. And it, I don't think that'll be forever, but at least for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then you got Cat Williams on the other hand, who's basically airing out like his compatriots in the entertainment industry and saying like, yeah, fam, you know, it's a whole lot of trash, whole lot going on. And y'all need to know what it really is. And he does it in this comedic way that has you laughing while you're also like, whoa, wait, really? And while you're also like getting these fantastical kind of rhetorical statements, whether it was, you know, I've read 3,000 books in a year, or, you know, I got accepted to college at seven. And like what I was trying to, I was sharing this with somebody how the point is not entirely about like truth telling is not the same as fact finding. And part of part of like the question we ask about a thing, sometimes the most useful question is not like, is this true? Sometimes the more useful question is, how is this true? In other words, what kind of truth is being suggested or being highlighted for us? What kind of point is being made through the story that's being told? Because right. even right, like I think about stuff like Aesop's fables, right? And how they were usually these kinds of morality stories, or there, there's some object or lesson you're supposed to get from the story. The point is not whether the story is true. The question is, is the lesson true? Is it teaching you a thing that is real, that is concrete, that is meaningful? But I say, you know, but I, but I, I, I turn to the Cat Williams because one, like, it says something to me about the position from which people argue or articulate like their stories, like Cat Williams has done well, has, you know, built a, a fine, you know, a longstanding career in comedy and hasn't necessarily grossed at the same levels as some of the other cats. And it's not about, right, like who made the most money, who got the most deals, et cetera. But I also like feel like that's part of like this element in here. He even mentioned, you know, within this interview, I, man, well, you know, Jesus broke, like, it's like he's but he's saying something here about this relationship or the fact that there's not a relationship between the righteousness of your cause or your integrity and the kind of material success you may have obtained. And so like however people feel about it, like he's there's there's some truth to the way he's coming at this. And I think what it tells us about like well, where are you really locating your treasure and what are you willing to do to sustain or attain that treasure that you want? You bring up such an interesting point in this and I, and I much like you, have not, I have not been operating in a way in response to Cat Williams' interview with Shannon Sharp uh, where I, I felt the need to you know, try to stand on whatever truth he's told. Uh, because, you know, once again, I don't know them people. So I don't know what has gone on between them. 
I'm there. There's some of it based on some of the clips that we've seen, uh, particularly on the side by side that has been verified to whatever degree. Um, but I'm I'm not so wrapped up in trying to figure out like which exact parts of these are the the whole truth. But this part about you know who who wins and how we characterize who wins um, is is interesting because oftentimes we will we find ourselves trying to attribute you know well what is the reason for sharing this so we try to attribute some emotion to the to the situation or some motivation again with with context mm -hmm. that we just don't have and yeah i i i've heard people responding in, in criticism uh to cat like well it's because such and such took your spot or it's because you don't have as much success but I also can combine that with the with the wisdom that I have from my own life of hey man like all the glitters bro it ain't it ain't that you know what I'm saying like there can be a situation where you know yeah you're the person who has all the things and part of having all the things is being willing to do what it requires to have all the things and many times in those stories that we've had recounted to us that have been verified, a lot of that requires you to step on people, to steal from people, to take mm -hmm. people's spot. And, you know, Kat mentioned a few situations where folks tried to step on him, steal from him, mm -hmm. take his spot. I'm not going to just throw the whole thing out, but I think that there's a lesson in this about what it is that we should be valuing and the cost of valuing just pure elevation and you know getting to the bag is 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 great until you start having to destroy people for it you know i also you know i've i've seen some criticism around you know particularly black comedians airing each other out in the public square and yeah. I get that. I do. And I actually, I was watching uh, to hear more does uh, it does a show that is like uh, zooming with the homies or something like that. And they'll have a bunch of comedians on and they talk. Um, and they mm -hmm. had an episode where they were talking about, you know, the, the consequences and the fallout of this Cat Williams interview. And some of them were lamenting just the idea of these great black comedians going at each other in public in this way. And even saying like you, we don't see this from white comedians. And I don't know these people, but mm -hmm. I think there are some some different stakes that come with showing up as a black person, even in these highly visible, uh, culturally accepted, successful. Culturally success, culturally culturally accepted as successful situations that like your blackness still carries a a difficulty that exists within that context. Like we don't we can't just take that out. Now it's not always the 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 dominant force. It's not always the thing that you should be looking at because in these situations, like we got to look at the power too. 
And that always yeah. matters as we're talking about representation. Representation in and of itself, just being a Black person in a position of influence and power does not solve the problems of inequity and racism. Like the, the, the power in those situations also looms large. And so thinking of who is in power to do harm to each other matters. And I think part of what we see in this context is a frustration with have with folks who have an understanding of what it means to be taken advantage of, to be powerless in these situations, taking on some level of power or, or gaining some level of power and then using it mm -hmm. as a weapon against folks who look like them and doing some of those same damaging things that you might not expect. And, you know, I have a homie, uh, a Dedrick Welch, who has, we have an ongoing back and forth about our Deion Sanders episode because he has not, he did not like how we went out at Deion. That, uh, and we've had, we've had our back and forth about it. it, it it's, it's all good. One of the things that I said to him, because he brought up the point that like, well, these white coaches doing that and you're not, you're not bringing them the same heat. Like, why don't they get that level of, of, um, of, of criticism? Mm -hmm. And I'm just speaking for me. I don't expect mm -hmm. them to kick it any kind of way because their worldview is not related to mine in, in the way that Dion's is. Dion has lived an entirely different life than me, right? Clearly. Um, mm -hmm. With access to power and and uh, money and stuff that I will never see. And I know based on the stories that he's told of his origins that he understands that we, that we do share a commonality and an understanding of how it can be. And because of that, I expect that he's not going to kick it the way the mother wants to kick it because he knows better or should. And mm -hmm. in this, I can see why there's a fallout in a certain kind of way, because you know what this is. You know how hard this is and you know what comes with showing up in our black skin in this context. And so calling people out in that way may not feel good. But I also want us to understand that when we allow folks to tell the story incorrectly in ways that directly affect us, that it does have an effect. Like there, there are issues that are connected to that. And while we don't have to respond to every person who want to get our story wrong, because the truth of that is people don't get the full view of us. Very rarely do they get the full view of us. And we are not in control of people's perceptions of who we are. We are allowed mm -hmm. to tell the truth about ourselves, though, however we see it. And we don't we don't have to sign. We don't have to to live up to some high ideal of not tearing someone down when they've already torn us down because oftentimes that that the the value of that secrecy really operates to keep people who are doing the abuses who are who are responsible for the abuses excuse me from any kind of accountability man so I, the thing you the thing that's striking me 
is how these appeals to racial solidarity can often function as a way of protecting folk or buffering from actual accountability. Oh. That's the same thing with Jonathan Majors. It's the same thing with Jonathan Majors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the one of the one of the things that I think is critical to acknowledge, and I come back to Zora Neale Hurston again, the gift that keeps on giving. All my skin folk ain't my kin folk. Which means I don't presume that everyone who identifies or is identified as black means me well. I also so so on that level alone appealing to a kind of vague sense of racial responsibility as a way of saying, hey, don't call me out on this. It's like, well, actually do better as a human being, not like as a black person, but just as a human being. Um, and then talk to me about like how you do or don't want to be critiqued uh, or questioned about the ways you move. I also want to acknowledge a piece that I think is important, especially when, when folks you know, they say stuff like, man, well, you know, white folks don't do this to each other. It's like, bruh, people with resources, leverage, and power do all kinds of things to people you would presume they have or should have an allegiance to. Because in the end, if the, if, you know, if cream holds true, cash rules everything around me, like, you'll, don't be shocked at how people move once they get a bit of leverage, get a bit of power, get some resources. Because so. I'm like, man, there, there, there are ways in which um, I think a kind of, you know, structures of white supremacy can certainly like give the impression that like everybody on, you know, one side is in this together. And it's like, mm, not necessarily the case. Like, ultimately, people, I think regardless of how they're situated in the world and the identity, are often after their own self-interest. So I'm like, no, I'm not shocked when people do folk dirty. Like, you know, I can be, <laughs> I think about, uh, what is it? I'm thinking about uh, the, best, the best man final chapter. And uh, one part of the storyline in there, you know, oh boy is like, you know, successful, you know, financier, investor. And he's also heavily invested in prisons. Mm. And so he's profiting off of a system that like disproportionately impacts black men like himself. And like he has his own articulation for how and why that is or like how he doesn't see that as a fundamental problem. But the point being, whatever notions of solidarity you think people are supposed to have, like, bruh, at the end of the day, like, call the spade a spade and be be honest and forthright about how things really are versus trying to, you know, maneuver or navigate in ways that avoid responsibility. And on the point of responsibility uh, and accountability, particularly, accountability has to be practiced with some measure of community. Like, it's hard to, like, I don't know what it means to hold someone accountable when they're not in community with you. They don't even know you exist. Like, and it's not to say don't call things out that you know are right or wrong, but it is to say that, like, I think the notion of what it means to hold people to a standard, uh, particularly folk 
get up in arms about this because they do this with uh you know various kinds of demonstrations and protests they will tell you about when a thing is or isn't the right time to do this or like well there's a better way to do that and i mean prime example i think of is the the recent protest at emmanuel ame yeah um where uh president joe biden was uh giving a speech and folks uh protesters interrupted the speech called for a ceasefire which like hey you know if you know anything about the history of the ame church it begins precisely with a protest in the middle of church service. A predominantly white uh, Methodist Episcopal church in Philadelphia, as I recall. And um, Richard Allen and uh, gosh, I'm forgetting the other guy's name right now. I would have remembered if I if, I wasn't thinking about it, but um, hmm, maybe Absalom Jones. Anyhow, they walk out of the church service because, like, they're being told, like, you know, one, you got to sit in the colored section, and that, like, they don't, they don't wait till an appropriate time to lodge their protest. They do it like, like, well, no, like, you're doing wrong right here in our faces. Well, we're gonna respond to it right here, and so I think there's a way in which, too, in the the attempts to police how people should or shouldn't respond. Because some folk, you know, the critique of even like, say, a Cat Williams would be like, oh, well, you know, there's a better way to do that. I'm like, man, folk be quick to talk about decorum in response and don't say nothing about the shystiness with which folk move when they're trying to build up their own brand or, you know, make sure their own star is rising or get to the bag for themselves. So... Like, let's just acknowledge, man, in a certain respect, when it comes to conflicts of humanity, we are always at war. Like, there's always a a tension, a struggle. And to pretend like, oh, well, decorum only applies when, like, I want things to play out a certain way, might not. Sometimes, man, like, the mess you do quietly is going to have a messy public response. And you don't get to choose the clap back, you got to choose how you want to move with integrity on the front end. Word. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and 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 the criticism of that protest, particularly in, uh, what's, the, what's the name of the church again? Emmanuel AME. Emmanuel AME. Um, comes without a criticism of folks then chanting to drown them out four more years in the church where people were murdered by an open white supremacist that was affiliated with white supremacist organizations um, as our country supports a country who is enacting a genocide upon the Palestinian people. Like you don't see the violence of that. And so I, I think in, in all of this, it's 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 I I I am often deeply troubled by the amount of energy it takes to peel back the layers and to do the work of highlighting the complexity in a time and 
culture in which it's it's so easy to take the easy way out and just make broad assumptions and give simple answers that do not reflect deep thought or study. Um, it is, it is, and I don't say that in a way to, to, um, I guess, elevate myself or others who may have access to the ability to, to study these things above the rest of the population. I think it really does require for us to create space to have deeper discussion and to take in the deeper context of these things because that 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 part about even the um the history of the AME church is integral to understanding the interaction that takes place in that space. Mm -hmm. I I don't say this as a as a way of saying like folks shouldn't speak on everything. I just want us to to create space for us to have deeper discussion that doesn't just end up in us taking a side and, and regarding the situation with some binary level of choice. I'm either with this mm -hmm. or I'm with that. Nah, man, like with some things, absolutely. Cause we not we not gonna be unclear um about the fact that there's no excuse for the continued bombardment of you know civilians, journalists, hospitals, like there's there, there's no gray area there, right? But when we talk about the complexity of like how we respond to nonsense. It's it's important for us to 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 be curious enough to to wonder, you know, what was the question that you asked? You was like, how could this be the truth? Yeah, not just uh, is this true, but how is it? How is this true? And I think if we would shift ourselves to not just have to come to that quick answer of is this true or isn't it? which we don't really have the ability to discern, but to ask the more curious question. And then to do the assessment and to actually take in some information. Because even if you don't get to the perfect final answer, if you take in information, well-sourced information, my God, please, can we all go back to English class in, in, in elementary school where hopefully, hopefully they taught you which sources were good sources and which sources you should not, if it got a bunch of hyphens in it. If it, if it, yep. if it's, you know, I, I'm not, just come on, y'all. If it's got underscores, maybe not. Maybe, maybe just Wikipedia, I'll accept it. It's not perfect, but you could go there. Just, just let's, let's not rush to give an answer. You don't have to be the first. You don't have to have it perfect. Just a little effort. Just a little effort, y'all. Yeah, man. When, when people are quick to shut down questions and curiosity, that's when the alarms ought to go off. Um, 
what what I'm reminded of in all of this conversation we've had today is the significance of no paying close attention, but asking good questions. Like I try to instill this in my students, the idea that your your objective, and I know this is hard to really absorb if you're focused on the outcome of a specific grade. And like nothing is good or valuable or useful unless you get this particular product. But the thing I try to emphasize is I'm more interested in your questions than in the answers. Like I we we study, we read, we discuss, we think, we write in order to find our way to better questions. To to do a better job of getting to the heart of a matter, not simply seeking the, the simplest explanation for it, but asking questions about how this comes about. Um, with, you know, a Cat Williams, a Jonathan Majors, any other, you know, with the, the protest at Emmanuel, ultimately, the narrative I'm concerned about is how does this come about? Do we understand the process by which things unfold? Because stuff doesn't, it's not just coming out of nowhere, man. This is, I remind myself of this when I am tempted to assign a value or a judgment to a person without thinking carefully through what I'm saying or doing. Um, I remind myself that the story of a person does not start with when I met them. Yeah. And what happened before then gives us meaningful context to how we ended up where we are now. And when I think about for, you know, for us, the kinds of stories we want to tell about our lives, the kinds of lives we want to live, the aspirations we have, it's important for me to ask internally, well, how did we get here? How were our wants and desires conditioned, shaped, or influenced? How are my choices in the present also a function of choices made by others that I didn't realize impacted me so deeply? Because ultimately, you know, if our, if our goal is to, you know, live honestly, live truthfully, live with integrity, I think that means, um, man, I come back to to James Baldwin, um, where he talks about, um, you know, you know how he thinks all all, you know, all theories are suspect, and we have to be willing to question even the things we hold most dearly, not as some sort of endless exercise and dissection or tearing things apart, but rather as an honest critical reflection on who we are and how we got here. Like, make sure you get the story straight. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to that point of, of, of making sure that you get the story straight, once, you, once we do have the story straight, we have a set of choices about what to mm -hmm. do with that information. And we're responsible and accountable to each other for how we process and move with that new knowledge. So we do, we do still require 
um, establishing a level of clarity with each other. And yo, we're we're each other's business, man. Like we can't we can't be out here uplifting folks blindly because mm -hmm. that, that's not without consequence. And it and 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 though the consequences can be complicated, we don't get to beg out of the responsibility of dealing with what we play a part in creating or sustaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. We we all have a responsibility with our with our voices, with our platform, with our interpretive faculties. And my hope is that, man, you know, we put those to good use. We put them to righteous use, put them to just use. And, man, that's about, I think, the best we can do. And with that, that closes another episode of Black Men Unlearning. We aspire to get these out every other Thursday. <laughs> but if we don't, if we miss you on a Thursday, don't worry. We'll be, we'll be back soon. Um, yeah, you can please follow uh, our podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts, available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and in many other places and locations. Uh, rate, review, share with a friend. Thank you, as always, for listening and rocking with us. And we'll catch you on the next one. All right, y'all. Take care. Peace. Thank you.